This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The biblical wedding model is misunderstood. The Torah is the ketubah, the wedding vows. So why do Christians shun the Torah? And yet, extra-biblical Jewish wedding rituals are used as proof of a pre-tribulational rapture. Joel Richardson straightens out this biblical marriage mess tonight, because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Assumptions run wild when we try to, you know, prove doctrines that are not in the Bible, especially the pre-tribulation rapture. Well, some are pointing to unfounded claims about Galilean weddings, specifically to make them their claim, but is there anything to this? Where are these claims coming from? Is it from the Bible or where is this? So Joel Richardson sets the record straight tonight in the third episode of What the Bible Really Says. And what the calendar really says is that we are on the second Shabbat of the eighth month on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There it is. Now, please welcome my co-host, the one and only Ted Clayton. Well, thank you, Scott. Welcome everyone to Shabbat Night Live. Ladies and gentlemen, Joel Richardson's in the house, and you're not gonna wanna miss this very, very special teaching tonight. Indeed, so yeah, the biblical wedding model. Uh, yeah. Joel so brings out a movie, he exposes a movie that uses this as an excuse tonight about, uh, hey, this is how this happened. Uh, you know, lifting up the bride and all yeah. this, and uh, this is what would happen, but only in Galilean weddings. Hmm. And Joel says, okay, where'd you get that from? That's right. And Crickets, there's you know, no answer. And, and Scott, I, I just have to say, there is so much stuff out there, ladies and gentlemen, that is just not scriptural. And that, I think, is what uh, Joel is trying to get across to us in this yep. special series of teachings, that, you know, we've got to take the Bible for what it says. Right. And we've got to be serious about what it says because man has taken this and has just put us on on the man-made track to nowhere right quite honestly and some might say well we can't even we can't even trust the canon of scripture because the catholics and the jesuits put them there and we can't trust them and well Joel has a good point where he says look if Yahovah wanted those books to be in there, he allowed those books to be That's in there. That's right. This is his word. That's right. And if he wanted to trust those people, yes. uh, regardless of their faults, regardless of our faults, right. to put those books and be the canon of scripture that you know hundreds of years, for, for, right. you know, been trusted for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. I think Yehovah could probably have taken out somebody who was doing something wrong with his word. That's right. That's right. So we kind of have to trust it at some level. Well, you know, Scott, I think what it does is it goes back to tell us be the man that the Bible wants you to be. You know, don't be this, you know, as Michael would say, don't be this mamby-pamby, greasy-gracy-goppy right. uh, <laughs> type of thing. Be the man of God that you were supposed to be in the first place. Do as the Bible says, right. not what man says. Right, and a lot of what man has done is these extra-biblical books, you That's know, right. so... Uh, 
just Jasher or Yasher and uh, Enoch for another one, which was not even written by Enoch, by the way, so I gotta get that out of the way. Maybe a lot of people already know that, but yes, and the, you know, Maccabees, all these other things. Like, I actually have a a Jerusalem Bible that was, uh, that actually has some of these in there. And they're good, you know, they're good for uh, historical context. Right. But we can't consider what they're, what's in there as, uh, you know, Script, absolute scriptural truth, and use that as leverage to to you know pump up these these extra biblical concepts like the pre-tribulation rapture that just aren't true. They're not in the Bible, and we're, we're grasping at straws to try and push something up. Well, you know, and I think one of the biggest uh, violators of, of trying to get stuff across is these television shows that you watch on these history type channels Ah. that basically say, well now this is the history, this is what God said and this, and you sit back and go, really? Right. Where is that? Where is that in the Bible that it was that way? So ladies and gentlemen, listen, here's what you gotta do. You gotta read the Bible for yourself. You You gotta dive in deep Don't believe what they say on television with some of these history shows that talk about the Bible. Go in, read the Bible yourself, and you will get, as Michael says, the movie just comes alive when you read the Bible. Absolutely, and I think Joel and Michael, if they were sitting up here, would both say, don't even trust what we say. That's right. You You go go. look at it for yourself, okay? That's what you gotta do. Now, speaking of which, uh, the pre-trib trap. Yes. This is Very another good. trap we get into. Uh, not we necessarily, but you know, a, a lot of the church world looks at the pre-tribulation yeah. rapture as, hey, we get to escape, nothing bad happens, and uh, ooh, that's maybe not exactly the way it yeah, goes Yeah, we're gonna down. be great. We're gonna be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a really good teaching for uh, friends and family, yes. and uh, we only have about 10, well, no, no, not even 10 days. Goodness, what am I talking about? This ends Tuesday. Yes. You know, the end of the month, this thing is gone. That's right. So we've got to make sure we get this into friends and family's hands as soon as possible. Do you know the pre-tribulation rapture was only invented 200 years ago? I thought it was older than that, but that's something that Joel taught me while we were doing that interview here. That's right. And ladies and gentlemen, Joel Richardson has a wealth of information. That's why it's so important to get this uh, special teaching for you today. You're not gonna find it on YouTube. You're not gonna find it anywhere else but on that DVD or Blu-ray. And ladies and gentlemen, you're not gonna wanna miss this very special teaching. Now, if people would like to give to this ministry uh, through the, you know, the love gift, that is, yes. that is great. We can we love always use it you know, for everything we're doing here. And also, uh, there are different levels of that. Now, yes. the, the third level of this is what we call the $300 uh, level. Yeah. And for that, you'll get, uh, of course, the teaching, another great gift here, which is the slate, um, uh, etching of the name of Yehovah, great thing to have in your house. But That's the right. Isaiah scroll here, this is really neat. I had, uh, dug up some information about this thing. So this was, do you know that the Isaiah scroll that was found with the other Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 in yes. the caves of Qumran, yeah. it, it was the only one that was, uh, they say, nearly complete. I didn't know that. So that's why it's so special and that's why it's so revered. And it was 24 feet long, this thing. So that's I mean, right. the, the whole book of Isaiah, uh, it's called the Great Isaiah Scroll for you know, obvious, obvious reasons. And it is actually the best preserved as well. So that's why there's a lot of attention put on this thing. And that's why we have a, a piece of it here uh, from Isaiah, what is it? Isaiah 60 verse one yeah. is the piece that is shown here uh, as a replica, of course. Of course. Um, but you can have that in your home as well. And it's just a neat thing to have in your house uh, to show friends and family 
uh, just open up a conversation about Absolutely. the Dead Sea Scrolls, why they're important, Absolutely. how it proves the Bible, all that kind of stuff. You know, and this was found in the, the Qumran Caves back in 1947, mm-hmm. Scott. And ladies and gentlemen, this is really, really uh, a great way to share your faith, because people can come, they can look at this hanging on the wall, and they go, what is this all about? And you can explain to them about your faith and where you stand with the Bible yeah. and the truth. And this is almost like having the Mona Lisa in your house, or a version of the Mona Lisa. The curator of the Dead Sea Scrolls, I watched a video yeah. from him, mm-hmm. he calls the Isaiah Scroll uh, the Mona Lisa of their entire collection. Wow. They, that's how much they really revere, and it's how, that, how special it really this is. This is great. Ladies and gentlemen, you can get this this month, but time's running out. You've yep. got to get it now. End Tuesday. Wow. That's Ooh. Time is running out. Okay, while some believers say the Torah is invalid, extra-biblical Jewish wedding rituals are used as proof of a pre-tribulational Christian rapture. Where does this come from? Joel Richardson explains right after the Kiddush with Michael. The pre-tribulation rapture was developed from mistaken ideas less than 200 years ago. Yeshua did not teach it. The apostles did not teach it. So where does this modern doctrine come from? People watching this right now, people alive, our brothers and sisters will face the great trial, the great test of our faith. And you have all of these preachers who are literally lying, saying, oh, don't worry. In this month's exclusive love gift teaching, Joel Richardson reminds both church-going Christians and Torah-observant believers that trusting in man instead of Yehovah's word is a slippery slope, especially when it comes to lost books not found in our Bible. The Pre-Trib Trap with Joel Richardson is not available anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Rude Awakening International when you donate $50 to this ministry in October, we'll send you The Pre-Trib Trap with Joel Richardson on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you The Pre-Trib Trap plus a custom-made slate wall hanging featuring a laser etching of the Hebrew name of God from the Aleppo Codex. Donate $300 and we'll send you The Pre-Trib Trap, the custom-made slate wall hanging, and a framed replica of the Isaiah scroll fragment dated 125 BCE bearing Isaiah 60, verse 1. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Thank you. Your donations ensure that important teachings like the pre-trib trap keep coming from a Rood Awakening International. Use your cell phone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now and receive these limited time gifts. Or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. On Friday, the sixth day of the week, the markets in Jerusalem are filled with challah that is done differently than it is any other day of the week. On that day, the challah is covered with honey and it is covered with raisins because it is a shadow picture of when the Messiah reigns upon the earth in the Sabbath day or the Sabbath millennium when life on earth will be sweet. Yeshua, the last night that he had with his disciples before his crucifixion, he took bread and he blessed the Most High and he said, Baruch atah Yehovah Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this 
represents my body, which will be broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so the sanctification of the Sabbath, the Kiddush that we do, sets apart this day and sets apart this very thing that we had rehearsed from the time that Yeshua gave this to his disciples. And then Yeshua blessed the Most High with this blessing that Melech Zadik said to Abraham when he blessed the Most High. Barukatai Yehovah Elohino Malach HaAlam Barei Pri HaGafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And Yeshua said, this represents the renewed covenant paid for in my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. With that, we do exhibit the Lord's death and what he paid for our redemption until he comes. We have all seen the wedding stories in the Bible. And in fact, we are the bride of Messiah. And of course, there are all these, these wedding type themes throughout scripture. So we should pay attention to these things. But there's also a lot of traditions and a lot of conjecture and a lot of, well, shall we say, rumors of what they used to do in the past. And so what really relates to our marriage to Messiah and what doesn't? What are we really grasping at straws with? And some, someone can help us to uh, figure all this out is Joel Richardson. Joel, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. It's great to be back with you. So yeah, we have these themes in the Bible, right? So we're the bride of Messiah. So obviously we get, oh, this is sort of this is a marriage thing. So we need to pay attention to maybe the, the Jewish weddings. And so we, we look deep into that. But is there a certain point where, yeah, we kind of go awry and, and we're, we're making assumptions? Very much so, <laughs> very much so. So let me just start by saying this. Um, I, <clears throat> we've, we've been talking a lot about the Exodus um, and the return of Jesus. So what a lot of Christians are not familiar with is the fact that Torah itself, the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinaitic Covenant, the covenant that was made between God and Israel at Mount Sinai, it was a betrothal covenant. It was a betrothal ceremony. It has all of the features and elements of a biblical wedding um, before the God comes down on the mountain and enters into covenant. He has them consecrate themselves three days beforehand. Um, this is basically the ritual mikvah that you see today in Jewish weddings beforehand. Um, a bride will reserve uh, a place either at a synagogue or Jewish community center, and she'll go and do the ritual cleansing. We have that in the story, um, we have the, 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 the Torah itself is the ketubah. It is essentially the wedding vows. So, you know, I always like to say to Christians who only have a negative view of Torah, I go, okay, so let, let me just put it this way. So, you know, in the body of Messiah, you have, let's just say sort of the typical, a uh, little bit more shallow, evangelical perspective on Torah, which is they're gonna quote or misquote a few statements that Paul makes. Um, and you know, a few that are, you know, like where he says Torah is a teacher and you know, it's, it's leading to something greater. Okay, so there's a few statements, like, but then they also twist some statements and they frame Torah as completely negative. 
Well, then on the other side, um, you know, the other extreme side of that is obviously the Torah observant Hebrew roots movement. I personally fall somewhere in the middle, which is to say, I do think that it was a tutor that's leading us to um, the Messiah. But here's the thing for any evangelical out there, no one in the world talks about their wedding vows as if there's some negative, bad, passing away burden. No one goes, oh, honey, oh, the marriage vows, ugh. You gonna remind me of those again? For better, for worse. Oh, oh gosh, it's such a burden. <laughs> like the way that Christians, the Torah is intended to be viewed as a thing of tremendous beauty. These are the promises between God and Israel. And God says, if you will obey these things, if you'll honor these things, my decrees, my instructions, then, and this is what it ultimately leads to, I will be your God, you will be my people. And so when we talk about the end times, talk about the return of Jesus, we talk about the rapture, so much of the church today has been taught and they believe that we have this final period of seven years, it's really three and a half years. They say, we have this great tribulation and they say, well, that's for Israel. Israel is gonna be on the earth suffering the tribulation, but we are gonna get raptured and go up to heaven and celebrate the marriage supper of the lamb. And I go, guys, Israel is the bride. Do you not know the biblical narrative? We, by grace, have been grafted into this program. Israel is the original bride. It's their wedding. They're not on the earth being, being uh, suffering while we are in heaven celebrating their wedding. That's perverse. Now, most people that believe in the pre-tribulational rapture, they don't believe in replacement theology. They don't believe that they are the new and true Israel. But that storyline is disgusting. It is replacement theology. You are stealing their wedding. You are, when we say we are the bride of Messiah, or the bride of Christ, and forgetting the fact that the original bride is Israel, of which, again, we are part of, that is, it's theft, it's identity theft. And it's a, it's a very perverse um, idea. So this is very important for Christians to recognize that the marriage supper of the Lamb, it takes place on the earth, in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion. Uh, Isaiah chapter four, at the end of the chapter, it says that speaking of the millennial age, the, the kingdom of the Messiah after he returns, it says, and that at that time, the Lord will set over Mount Zion a chuppah, Okay, so that was another thing during the covenant at Sinai, God came down on the mountain with a thick cloud and he provided the chuppah itself. He provided the covering, the canopy. And so it portrays Zion now, not Sinai, but Zion, Jerusalem, as being a place of a wedding. And then in Isaiah 25, the Lord says, and in that day, I will throw a choice banquet or a choice feast for all peoples. In other words, it's not just for Israel, it's also for all of the Gentiles, for all of the peoples. And so this is talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's where on Mount Zion. And the Lord mm -hmm. says, I will have a choice feast of choice cuts of meat and aged wine, et cetera, et cetera. So when Jesus, when Yeshua starts talking about the feast, the banquet, what's he referring? He's referring to Isaiah 25, he's referring to the marriage supper. When he says, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it, with you in my Father's kingdom. He's talking about on the earth, in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the basic storyline. Now, our pre-tribulational 
brothers and sisters, pre-tribulational friends. Um, there's not a single scripture in the Bible that teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. There's nothing. And because they can't point to any particular verse and say, see, the Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture, they have to have sort of a plan B to make their case. They need a fallback argument. So what they often do is they say, well, if you look at Jewish wedding rituals, that proves a pre-tribulational rapture. And so this is a very popular discussion in the pre-tribulational world. And people say, I say, why do you believe in a pre-tribulational rapture? What verses can you point to? They go, well, it's inferred. It's not really clearly taught. It was hidden. It's, it's now been revealed and this type of thing. And they go, but when I look at Jewish wedding rituals, that to me proves. And I go, okay, so your primary basis for believing something that the Bible does not teach is your claims concerning something outside of the Bible. And so as I've been preparing to teach on this subject, I've been researching thoroughly uh, Jewish wedding rituals and those who claim that Jewish wedding, wedding rituals prove a pre-tribulational rapture. And the bottom line is, Scott, is it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. All of the claims that are made are made up. They're fabricated. They're lies. Um, or they're twisted and distorted a little bit you know, to try to say, well, this teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. And so I've been working through these very carefully, claim after claim, point by point, researching all of the historical Bible background commentaries and academic literature and, and so forth. And when we look at what the Bible actually has to say, the only real two clear passages is the parable of the foolish and wise virgins that talks, that uses the marriage imagery. And that points to a post-tribulational rapture. Doesn't point to a pre-trib. And um, then, of course, you have the reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation, which is after, after the tribulation. And so the only two clear Bible passages that we have that talk about a marriage supper or just the general theme of Israel being the bride, of which the marriage supper of the Lamb is the consummation of the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. The new covenant is the consummation of that betrothal ceremony. Um, it points to a post-tribulational rapture. And so then, in all of this uh, research and preparation, I found a movie. I hadn't seen it. It's called Before the Wrath. Before the Wrath, it was, at least the creators of the film, the promotional literature claims that it was the biggest Christian film of 2020. So at the height of COVID, they released this film. Uh, it's really a sermon that is sort of framed as a documentary. And again, the single biggest Christian film of 2020 attempts to make this very claim that Jewish wedding rituals prove a pre-tribulational rapture. And obviously we can talk about this more. The entire film is an absolute complete fraud. And that's a strong statement to make. Um, I've reached out to the creator of the film. I reached out to some of the primary contributors to the film. Um, they interviewed some different pastors and authorities and so forth. And, um, you know, I did the Matthew 18 thing. I said, hey, you said this, but my research says just the opposite. Can you back this up? Can you cite? Where are the citations to back up and establish your claims? And um, multiple email exchanges back and forth. And my point here is not to condemn or indict anyone, but the bottom line is it's a lie. The body of Christ deserves the truth. And the greatest best-selling Christian film of 2020 is actually built on complete fabrications. 
So this is um, something I'll be talking about more um, in the weeks ahead um, with some of my teaching and so forth, but we can unpack it a bit. Yeah, so what, what, do you think it's a deliberate lie or do you think they're just smoke-screened and they don't get it? They don't see what you're trying to tell them? Um, some of it is deliberate. And that's, this is difficult because when you say deliberate versus non-deliberate, now you're starting to judge the motivations of someone's heart. And I don't want to do that. Sure. Um, but that said, so, and again, I always try to be fair. So I understand, if I can just be frank, I understand clickbait. I understand promotion. I understand sensationalism. You know, for example, with my books, I try to write in a very reasonable, measured way, but I do try to think of a title that will get your attention. And, you know, so you could say clickbaits and say, that's the nature of, we're all called, you know, everybody in Christian TV or religious broadcasting. So you understand these yeah, types of we things. We do it for shows like this too. We have a little clip of 13 seconds to get you excited to watch, watch Shabbat Night Live. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you watch the trailer to the film Before, Wrath, Before the Wrath, what they claim is they say new, recently discovered anthropological discoveries have shaken the very core of the theological community. And you go, okay, hypey language. But what they specifically claim is to have found, to have discovered, they use all this language. As they're talking about this, they'll show images of people sifting through the dirt, like archeologists. They go, recently discovered discoveries in the Middle East, in the Holy Land, by anthropologists have given us profound insight into the nature of the return of Jesus and this type of thing. So emphatic very hyped up, sensational claims. And here's the thing, there's not a single discovery. There is no discovery. All it is, is the interpretations of a pre-tribulational pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor, um, and his interpretations where he is trying to import pre-tribulational ideas onto Jewish wedding rituals. What they say, is they say there was a, this is the specific claim to get into the specifics. They say there was a dramatic difference, distinction between Galilean Jewish wedding rituals and any other Jewish wedding rituals. There were distinct elements of a Galilean wedding that when you look at them, they point to the pre-tribulational rapture. Here's the thing. Again, I've confronted the individual that is the primary source of authority. Let me just say this. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. He's a brother. Throughout the film, it lists him. It says, it says Middle East anthropologist. I emailed him and I said, are you an anthropologist? Do you have any formal education? He said, no, I have a degree in chaplaincy. He's a chaplain, he's a pastor. He goes, but I've really dedicated myself to studying these things. And I go, okay, I get that. I've been on shows where people have listed my credentials as something that I would never say, I get that. But when I reached out to the creator of the film, his answer was, well, he's way more of an anthropologist than any actual anthropologist because he's been studying. I go, okay, that's fine. You can say he's an expert. You can say he's an authority. He's not an anthropologist. That's a lie. That is lying about someone's credentials, putting them up there as this Middle East anthropologist. His experience in the Middle East is that he leads tours to Israel and to Turkey. Well, I do that. Mm. I'm not an anthropologist. Even if I have a lot of understanding of anthropology, if I study Bible background commentaries and these type of things, Bible encyclopedias, that still does not make me an anthropologist. So even in things like this, there is, so was it deliberate? 
yes, there was clear exaggerations, um, over-the-top sensationalizing, but there was also blatant lies. Mm. And I've had multiple conversations with different peoples, even who are pre-tribbers who watched it, and they go, the film makes all of these claims, but when you try to look up the sources, there's no citations. Now, you know, I've written eight books. I understand how citations work. When you make a claim, you back it up. You say, here's the citation, here's where this guy says this, here's the reference, you can look it up yourself. There is none of that, so I reached out to the guy, and he goes, well, I've got written a whole book about it. I bought the book, there's no citations. He says, well, there's a PDF file on my website where he lists a bibliography, but there's not a single citation. So I pushed him, and I said, here's a specific claim that you made. You said Galilean weddings were very different than any other Jewish wedding. Can you back that up? Give me any source. He can't do it, he won't do it. I keep pushing him. I said, look, I've been reaching out to you for a couple months now. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm giving you every opportunity. I've done the Matthew 18 thing. I've gone to my brother. You have not given me a single example, and now they're just not even responding. And I've been very polite. I'm actually just gonna post all of my email exchanges online when I do this teaching, just so people can see the exchange. They can see the deliberate evasion the sort of, you know, ducking and weaving, trying to get away. I'm just being very direct and trying to be very brotherly and polite and give them the benefit of the doubt and say, I'm gonna assume that you just, and so now they're not even responding. So, um, yeah, the film is a fraud. There is zero evidence that there's any difference between a Galilean Jewish wedding and any other Jewish wedding, and there's multiple specific claims made throughout the film that are simply not true. There's no evidence to back so it up. So where does he even get this from? Is it from rumors? Is it from traditions handed down that he heard from some rabbi in Israel or something? Or where does this even come from? Sure, so if we want to learn more about a biblical wedding, what sources, what are the original sources that we can go to? We can go to intertestamental, apocryphal literature, right? So, you know, Estrus or Tobit or some of the, you know, these type of Ecclesiasticus and some of these different things that are not in the Bible. Um, we can go to the Talmud, okay, mm -hmm. the Jewish Talmud commentary on, on Tanakh. We can find different rabbinical statements, and these are gonna be more like second, third century, you know, they're not gonna necessarily be biblical. Um, and there might be a teeny tiny bit of archeological, anthropological information, but very, very limited. So my research, and again, I have access to all of the same material that these guys do, and I'm a very good researcher, and I have a vast library. And working through it all, going right to the sources, going to the authorities, they say, really, we don't have a lot of information about biblical weddings. We don't have a lot. We know things like what we've just discussed, that there was a ketubah. There was this legal contract, the wedding vows. Um, we know about the chuppah. You know, we know about the the mikvah, the ritual before. We know some of these things, and then we know that from region to region there were different variations, and um, one book might make some reference. For example, let me just get specific. Um, in the film, it says that after the betrothal, then the husband will go back to the father's house, and he, in, in the film it says, and when the father says, go get your bride, the son never knows when he's going to. It's not until the day that the father says, now, go get your bride. Then he will go and get his bride. But it's, no one knows the day or the hour. Now, when you hear that, you go, wow, that's what the Bible says. No one knows the day or the hour. And I said, show me the evidence 
that a father, a Jewish father would say, now go get your bride. Where does this come from? He's just making it up, Mm. making up out of thin air. And again, when I really pushed him, his answer was, well, I use the process of elimination. There's no actual citations, there's no authorities, there's no history, there's nothing to prove this. He said, I use the process of elimination, which means this, he began with his presupposition. He began with his belief that the Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. And then he said, if I can't find any information to prove otherwise, then that proves that that's what the father would have said. I go, what? This is your logic? Is you can't find any evidence to say that a father didn't say that, and so since you believe a pre-tribulational rapture is true, therefore that's what the father must have said. Hmm. Zero evidence. This is like brazen conjecture. But your average Christian watching this film, they see all these authorities, they see all these well-known Calvary Chapel pastors, radio voice personalities and so forth, and they go, they're authorities. And unfortunately, Scott, there are a lot of people out there today who are very good students of their teachers. They're not necessarily good students of the word. They listen to whatever their favorite teacher tells them. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Another one says, I'm of Christ, this type of thing. And we're called to be Bereans. Paul the apostle said, you're more noble if you make sure that what I'm saying is true right? Mm -hmm. He said the Bereans were more noble because they checked, they cross-examined my words. And if we need to cross-examine Paul's words, then I think we need to cross-examine a pastor's words, et cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what we've done. Mm -hmm. So fact-checking in the true form, right? as it were. Well, hang on to that, Paul. Let's finish this in just a second here. Thank you for watching this so far. This is a great episode. I love this. We need to really research things carefully and check those who are doing the researching and make sure they're doing it carefully as well. Otherwise, we're just going to make up a man-made religion, and we don't want to do that. So, again, thank you for watching Shabbat Night Live. It's because of you this can happen. It's because of your donations, and we're going to give you a couple minutes to consider another donation to this ministry so that others can see this into the future. Thank you for doing it. We'll be right back. Hey, thank you for your support of Shabbat Night Live. We can't make up stuff, especially when it's about the Bible. I'll tell you, I'll give you an example. We've been talking to Joel Richardson about this, and we're going to talk more, but people look at this show, and if I happen to hold my hands like this, just out of comfort while talking to Joel. Or they see these shapes behind me on the wall that happen to have triangles. We have had people actually accuse us of being Masonic or being part of the Illuminati (laughs) just because they're making stuff up. This is ridiculous. And some people are doing this with Galilean weddings to prove a pre-tribulation rapture. Am I getting that right? Yeah, you're getting it right. I, you know, funny that you mentioned that. I've actually had someone who combed through, so I'm Italian, and which means that it's in my DNA and in my blood to talk with my hands. So I had someone who combed through videos of me, and here I go, look, I just did it. I don't even <laughs> realize I'm doing it. I'm just sending all kinds of gestures. And they put up this big collage of me, and oh, clearly he, he's serving the Illuminati. <laughs> What these people need to understand is the only secret organizations that are paying us are the Zionists. No, that's a joke. (laughs) Um, Other people say it's a Zionist. Oh, he's a Jesuit or he's a Illuminati. I'm like, I am some schmuck who's just doing my best to faithfully preach the gospel. And at least least you've got a life, Joel, unlike the folks who do that. True, true, yeah. I'm not being paid by any secret 
occult organizations, and I'm pretty confident that you're not either. But yes, people <laughs> people make things up. And, um, and you know, I, I joke, my wife one time said, where is all this Illuminati money? You know, like, like <laughs> if we're getting the accusations. We're, but, uh, They've got a lot of money. They're, they're, they're controllers of the world. Where's the cash? Um, but yes, quite literally, as we're talking about, and it's really unfortunate that Christians, for the sake of trying to promote something that they believe, would actually lie, fabricate, and make up information. And as I said earlier in the program, the body of Messiah deserves better. They deserve better. If someone's sitting in the audience watching a good Christian film or hearing a message, they shouldn't have to worry that the preacher or the pastor is literally fabricating and lying to them. But with regard to the film, Before the Wrath, that's literally what has taken place. The, the biggest, allegedly the biggest Christian film of 2020 is built upon complete, absolute fabrications. And so we, we have these instances of, of the pieces of the wedding uh, that implicate that, especially with Galilean weddings, that they are different, that they show Messiah comes before the wrath, thus the title of the movie. Yeah. So what are some other things that they, they suppose and, and take leaps on and grasp at straws? So for example, I gave the example where it's said in the film that at a certain point, the father of the groom would say, now it is the time, go get your bride. And so again, they would say, this is to validate the statement in scripture that says, no one knows the day or the hour, only the father. Well, again, there is no evidence that a Jewish father would ever say that. It's just fabricated. They would say, again, that a Galilean wedding was very different because this is the whole point of the film. The premise of the film is that all of Jesus' disciples were Galileans. Therefore, they would have understood these very distinct, unique elements of a Galilean wedding. The fact is there's really no significant differences between a Galilean wedding and any other Jewish wedding. There's really no clear evidences. Um, they say, well, when they would lift up the bride to carry her to the groom's house, they would say, and this was known, this was known as lifting her up into the air. And I go, where's the evidence for this? It doesn't exist. It's just made up. They would say, only in Galilee, when the cup was handed to the woman, she had the ability to refuse the cup. And this was called the cup of joy. It was known as the cup of joy. Now, again, no evidence for this. No evidence. And again, throughout the film, they say, you know, recently discoveries, these discoveries. It makes it sound like there was some archaeological uh, unveiling that was recently found, but you're always watching it going, well, where's the discovery? And there is no discovery, it's just the opinion hmm. of these different talking heads. So it's a dramatized, glorified, um, it's not even a sermon as much as it is an opinion piece. And it's disguised, again, as archeology, span as biblical anthropology, and it's not. It's simply a handful of, of good men and women. I, I wanna be clear, I mean, you know, like I know they love the Lord, they're brothers and sisters, that's why I'm not naming names. Um, but they're fabricating things, they're making things up. And, and you say, okay, well, why does any of this matter? Mm -hmm. It matters because this is one, I mean, think about this. So when I first got saved, I, uh, I used to witness to the Jehovah's Witnesses a lot. And 
I, I remember talking to this guy. I go, look, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in hell. They don't believe in eternal conscious torment. They believe in annihilationism. And they also believe that after the return of Jesus, that all good people will kind of have a second chance. So I said, okay, now let's just, let's game this out a bit. I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible does teach eternal conscious torment, or at least it uses that language. I leave that in God's hands, but it clearly seems to say that. And I also say that if Jehovah's Witness rejects, like, if they're not born again, because Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe they I go, if you're wrong, you, you, you could go to hell. I said, if I'm wrong, and I don't become a Jehovah's Witness, I'm fine. Because after he returns, I'll have a second chance anyway. Win-win for me. I said, but you, if a gam- as a gambling man, you should just become a Christian. Hmm? Like, it, it makes so much more sense. <laughs> That's good. Now, here's the thing. With regard to the pre-tribulational rapture, I believe that, we will face the Antichrist. And in fact, why does it matter? Because I believe that this could be very close. We could be far closer than a lot of people assume. It might be just ahead of us. And if I believe we're gonna face the Antichrist, we're gonna face the tribulation and we'll be resurrected, those of us that are still alive, when Jesus returns. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong and there is a pre-tribulational rapture, then the worst case is I get pleasantly surprised. Worst case, pleasantly surprised. But if our pre-tribulational brothers and sisters are wrong, and the way that the pre-tribulational rapture is preached is dogma. It is absolute. It is, you, like they, I, I have asked a handful of, I go, how confident are you? And they say, 100%. I go, do you ever say to your people, I could be wrong, just in case, be prepared just in case. Do you ever preach it that way? No, I assure them, you don't have to worry about these things. Now, if they are wrong, then all of the, the, the sea of people that have been listening to them, they have been left wolf, they absolutely will be disillusioned, absolutely will be disappointed. But again, as we talked about in previous episodes, Jesus said it's during this time that many will fall away from the faith. Can you imagine if the Antichrist was here, if we were, you know, if, if, if the covenant was made with many or the strengthening of the covenant, whatever that might be, and let's say we're two years into the final seven-year period and the Antichrist is emerging on the world scene, there will be preachers, I guarantee you, that will say, there is no way that guy is the Antichrist. And you go, what's the proof? And you go, because we haven't been raptured yet. Hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? The potential, I'm not saying all pre-tribbers are gonna fall away. I'm saying the pastoral potential for it to shipwreck people's faith is tremendous. So does this matter? Yes, this is one of the most premier pastoral matters of our day. If we are the generation that will actually live to see the return of Jesus, the great tribulation, then getting this right is very important and lying to the church matters. I'm not, I'm not a heresy hunter. I could care less. You know, I see people doing all kinds of weird shenanigans in the body of Messiah, if I'm to be frank, and I go, the Lord is gonna judge them. It's not my job to police everyone else. But when you have someone who is brazenly fabricating information, knowingly doing so, deceiving people about a matter that could affect their souls, then this is something that has to be called out. And, um, and so this is, it's just part of a handful of different um, 
things that I'm working through as I'm teaching through the rapture, but this is a biggie. Again, the biggest Christian film of 2020, and the, the body of Messiah needs to be aware that they have been lied to. And you know, it's not unlike saying, well, we see a sea of Chinese ships coming toward California and saying, oh, that can't be the Chinese because the US military can beat them no problem. And then they land on the shore and they invade. And well, wait a minute, this, I thought you said this couldn't happen. But, <laughs> but if we're lied to about the strength of, of an opposing army just to give us comfort, yeah. which is what this is, yeah. then uh, yeah, we're duped. And of course, at that point, everybody's gonna go, ah, I was unprepared for this, I give up. Yeah. And then of course, many fall away. Yeah. Right, so. When you've had all these authorities and great men and women, like amazing preachers, you could list all of the great preachers that are pre-trib. I mean, some of them are dear friends of mine. And people look to them as if they trust them. And they say, no, like you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about this. Like that, I, I use the analogy, I go, I, I've got two kids in college right now. Can you imagine telling a kid, don't worry, you never have to take the finals. Like, and then, and then the finals are here and they go, well, these can't be the finals because I was told I don't have to take the finals. Like, what's the, what's the saying? Um, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Mm -hmm. The leaders of the flock are preparing the body of Christ to fail, quite literally saying, you never have to take the test. And believe me, we have to take the test. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is a battle that's worth fighting over Again, in a loving way that's not worth dividing over, but it's a fight that's worth fighting because, again, this is eternal, eternal life is at stake. People will fall away. They will inherit the lake of fire. So it's absolutely worth losing some friends over if, if that's what it comes to. So have you spoken to people like this and said, have you been able to convince anyone or at least have them have a second thought about it by presenting what, what you see it as, and how, and how do you frame that when you're talking to people? Well, no, I mean, you know, obviously the main thing that we're doing is we're teaching, and so, yes, we, I get emails, notes, messages every day of people that go, I was a pre-tribber for years, decades, but I've listened to your teachings, we've gone through it, I've been studying the Bible, and I am no longer, I'm now preparing my heart to face the storms ahead, this type of thing, so yes, absolutely, people are leaving it in droves, but, in previous episodes, I referred to this doctrine as a demonic stronghold. And I've used the term, it's cultic. What I mean by that is that the cognitive dissonance that you face when people are determined to believe something, you go, look, here's the evidence. Here's what the Bible says. So for example, in um, uh, Thessalonians, it says, now concerning the coming of our Lord, and then he goes on to describe it. I posted that passage and I said, is this verse talking about the coming of the Lord, the rapture, or both? Okay, it's, and everyone, like among the pre-tribbers, I said, only answer this poll if you're a pre-tribber. They said, it's talking about the rapture. I said, not the coming of the Lord? They said, no, it's talking about the rapture. I said, but it says right in the verse, it's talking about the coming of the Lord. And they go, oh, I can see why you're trying to say that it says that. I go, I'm not trying to say anything. Mm -hmm. It's what it says. The, the cognitive dissonance, the sort of like the logical break where they just, it's right in front of them and they deny it. To me, that is evidence of a demonic stronghold. Mm -hmm. Satan loves this doctrine. He loves this doctrine. He goes, oh, wow. He goes, we can actually just 
tell a lie that's very comforting, that sounds pleasant, it preaches well, especially in the Western church. You know, over in Nigeria, they have to suffer, but praise God, we're out of here before the hard times come. You know, that type of mentality, I'm not saying everyone believes that, because a lot of pre-tribbers will say, hey, we might go through all kinds of hard times, but the underlying message that you get on a popular level is praise God, we're out of here before the hard stuff gets here. Satan loves that. Demons love that. The Lord wants us to be sober, to be alert, to be awake, to be testing our own lives, to be prepared for tests, to be working on refining our faith now so that when the real storm, you know, he wants us to be exercising our no muscle. Mm -hmm. Exercising our yes muscle so that when the real test comes, we're strong. And we're not doing that at all. And so it's, um, as I said, this is a, it's an important issue. Well, and it's, it, it appeals to the human psyche to be for peace and safety. Yeah. But yet what happens right after that? Sudden destruction comes upon them. Right. Think of that. Yeah, go ahead, sorry. Peter. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, I'm going up to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. Not so, Lord. Like, this makes sense. You said it appeals to the, it appeals to the carnal mind that doesn't understand the wisdom of the cross. The carnal mind does not understand the wisdom of God in the cross. And what did Jesus say to his buddy? Get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in mind. You don't have the things of God in mind. And that's exactly the case with the pre-tribulation. It sounds wonderful. It preaches wonderful, but it does not grasp the wisdom of the cross. The body of Messiah will have the opportunity to imitate their master and give a corporate witness to the world by laying down our lives for our enemies, even as our master did. He is our example. We're called to follow him, to imitate him. And this is the greatest opportunity for the, the body of Messiah corporately throughout the earth to embrace the cross, to love not our lives, even unto death if necessary. And there is a profound wisdom of God in that. And we need, we need to grasp the wisdom. of. We won't understand the doctrine if we don't understand the wisdom of the cross. I think you had said in a previous episode that uh, what, when we are to endure to the end, it's not to save our human lives, it's to save our e eternity. Yeah. It's to save that. That's, we need to look beyond the human mind and just look at what, what is eternal. Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah, absolutely. And you see it throughout the early church writers. You know, they, they talk about preparing for that time and so forth. And they're not concerned with saving their lives. They're concerned with saving their faith, with escaping the tribulation with their faith intact. It's a very different mentality. It acknowledges that, yes, I could be one of those that fall away. You know, like take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. As you pointed out earlier, same thing with Peter. I will never fall. Next thing you know, I don't know the man. <laughs> Jesus looks at him. We all need to approach the storms that are coming with humility, heeding the warnings, the clear many warnings throughout Scripture. And, and in doing so, I believe that he will preserve and protect mm -hmm. us throughout that time. So when someone comes to you, some real, real basic pre-tribber says, yes, but we're going to be caught up with him in the air and everything's going to be fine. How do you, what do you start with? If someone comes up to one of our audience members and sees this, What's the first thing, perhaps, that they should go to to start unwinding that thinking? Well, I mean, obviously, you try to go to the scriptures. I say, show, show me a single verse anywhere in the Bible, 
anywhere that teaches pre-trib. It doesn't. In fact, every verse that does talk about the rapture, for example, in, um, in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, now concerning the, our gathering together and the coming of our Lord. Don't let anyone deceive you, alarm you, to the effect that that day has come. That day, the gathering together and the coming of the Lord. It links them together and it calls it that day. And then it says, don't let anyone lie to you that the day of the Lord has already come. So now it's saying the day of the Lord is what? The coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. And then he says that day will not come unless two things happen. The revealing of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, and the falling away. Hmm. Two things have to happen before we are gathered together and he comes. The Antichrist must come first and the font, crystal clear, crystal clear. I go, look at this with an honest heart. And I think people who do have an honest, you know, that don't have that cognitive dissonance, that that don't have this fear-based, they cling to the doctrine because they're terrified otherwise. Or sometimes people just defend a doctrine because they think, well, this is what my team believes. My church believes this, my pastor believes this, I've always, and so they just fight for the sake of their team. But others, it's an emotional, it's an emotional bondage. Mm. And they're just like, I can't believe that. I go, what do the scriptures say? So you always have to start with the scriptures. And the word of God is a sharper than a you know, double-edged sword. We have to trust that it has its effect. All right, thank you. I think we have more to talk about. Can you come back one more week? Absolutely. All right, Joel Richardson, thank you for joining us on Shabbat Night Live. Thank you for joining us. Fascinating stuff. I hope you learned some things. I hope you took some notes. And maybe if you have some uh, pre-tribulation brothers and sisters in your group, you can help them unwind this and really get to the logic of the scriptures. Not another man's interpretation, but what it says in the scriptures about this. And hopefully at least get them to think a little bit differently about this so that they are prepared when this all goes down. So when the brimstone hits the fan, as Michael Rood would say. (laughs) Thank you again for joining us. We'll see you next week on Shabbat Night Live. Until then, Shabbat Shalom.